I just want to give a couple of quick thanks to, to a number of people who uh, made this possible. Uh, the stained glass windows that you see that were done by the Lorraine uh, firm in France, which I'm going to speak about it at some length, um, and many of them have been in place since 1883 and 18, through 1885, and consequently, you know, over time, given the humidity of Washington, the deterioration that is part of, you know, the lead uh, going bad and the windows fading and so forth, uh, we've had to do restorations. And I just want to thank the uh, the vestry and uh, the leaders of the church in making sure that the properties committee had sufficient funds to, to launch a major renovation campaign. We're not anywhere near finished, but a number of them have been done and a number more will be done. And I wanted to just uh, also thank uh, uh, my wife, Jean, who uh, decided when we were going to Paris for a holiday at the first of the month, uh, last month, she said, why don't we go to Chartres? It's only an hour's uh, train down, which is where the windows were made. And that launched a whole series of discussions uh, between me, the Alliance Francaise, and others to contact uh, the head of the firm and set up a meeting so I could see if they had any records of the church, which they did. And, and in the, the handout, you've actually got a picture of the order of uh, the original windows in 1883 when Bancroft Davis, who's also pictured in the back of that handout, was the only member of St. John's to ever visit the Loren firm with all the orders. Uh, when Jean and I went there, we were the second and third members of St. John's to go back to Chart where it all started. And that, that company is still in business and has been since 1863, and they're still making windows. So it was really one of those extraordinary things. I figured if I was going to talk about it, at least I had to go to the place and where the windows were made. So I have a little bit of credibility. Um, but I want to give you a quick, quick uh, geographic lessons about windows and also about their locations in the church. You know, when St. John's was first uh, established, um, all of the windows that existed uh, were clear stained glass. Uh, I mean, but I, I mean, they were just simple windows. There was no coloring. And so the light was so intense that when you know, they had the dome and the cupola up there, and the light would come down from there. And the windows that they did have were the only sources. But when the sun was very bright, it was intense. It was very difficult. The next thing you know, they had to put blinds in to deal with the light. And so from 1816, when the church first opened, until 1869, you had nothing but clear glass. Then in 1869, when things started to get more decorative, they painted the windows um, a Ivy League pattern with grayish white. But which sort of, if you've gone to some churches, you'll see those kinds of color schemes. Um, and it's not elaborate, it's very decorative and very simple. But when the church was going to be renovated in 1883, and James Renwick, the architect, had been hired to do the, uh, the renovations, um, th they had a meeting of the vestry and a meeting of a number of the leaders of the church, and they said, let's in install stained glass windows. And Renwick also did St. Patrick Cathedral in New York. That was his church. And he had a number of windows in that church made by the Loren firm in France. So when he was asked by Bancroft Davis, who was a leading member of the stained glass window uh, committee that had been created to do this and superintend it, um, he asked Renwick, who do you think should do the work? And he said, Loren and Chartres, France. And so that's how that all got started. And on the 1st of July, back in those days, everybody had had a pew. They owned the pew and they rented the pew. So a circular went out on the 1st of July in 1883 saying, folks, in one week, Bancroft Davis is going to be leaving for Europe to go to France. 
to order the windows. So here's your chance to subscribe. Pick a window. Would you like to donate one to the church? Here's the price list. Everybody went through it, and they said, give me your orders and give me your preferences for what the subjects might be. And so within one week, he got 25 orders for all intents and purposes. I mean, it was that quick. Um, and the thing is, there was only one set of guidelines that, that the subjects of the windows had to be from the, the life of Jesus or uh, the ministry of St. John's and, and his gospel and in the apocalypse, or as we know it more freak, frequently today, revelation. So those were the parameters. They also wanted to have a uniformity of style. And if you look about the church and you see a Loren window opposite a Loren window on one side or the other, you're going to find that even when they have the seal, where they have a colored uh, uh, circle oval that's either red or blue, it has SJ, and if it has SJ, then it's blue on one side, it's SJ blue on the other side. That's the level of detail of, uh, of concern, of commonality of doing the design. Now, there are other, other windows in the church. I just want to quickly mention, not to give any offense to any donors who gave windows after the Loren work, uh, you'll find uh, modern windows right here in the far corner on the 8th Street side, which you can't see unless you're in the front, and one in the back. Now, those were done uh, in the 20th century. And the same thing with these two blue windows over here that front that Loren window in the center. Those were done by Rowan LeCompte, who did the great rose window at the cathedral. And those were done in 1962. Up in the gallery, you've got two saints' windows of St. George and St. Patrick, which is hard to see from here. Those were modern windows. Those were put in in 1973. And finally, the last window, which is probably impossible to see unless you're sitting way in the back, up against the bottom half of the, their two sections of a window up here in the gallery was put in 1987. Um, so we've got some modern windows, but the irony of it is, I just realized the other day, looking at the geography, that where we have more windows put in that were modern, they're parallel across from one another. The two on this side are matched by the two on that side. So even there, they've maintained the symmetry. Now, here's the thing. If you look up, those of you in the, in the middle, you can see, there are also stained glass windows in the cupola. Those are put in an in 1895, but good luck trying to see them. You have to take my word for it. There are eight separate panes, each one with a standing person, four uh, figures from the Old Testament and four from the New Testament. And they were donated by the Hagner family, uh, who, which was one of the founding uh, families of this church in 1895. And that's when the cross on the top of the cupola was added. Before that, it was just a spike. So that's the geography. But when the Loren windows were put in, um, it, it's a truly amazing story because Nicholas Loren, who was the founder of the original Loren firm in, in uh, Chart, obviously had the connection with Renwick. I, I just find it ironic that I'm speaking to you on All Saints Day on November 1st because on November 1st of 1883 was the first time that St. John's had opened after they'd done the renovations of the chancel. The windows weren't in. Uh, the big window behind me was, was uh, delivered in, in late October of 1883, so there was not enough time for them to have that window installed before the service was. But this chancel had been done. The bay over here where, where the organ is and three windows are installed. All of this existed on All Saints Day, November 1st, 1883. Before that, 
This is where people would be facing. This whole section didn't even exist. This is what Renwick did. And that's when the question was, what do we do about the windows? And that's when they came up with all the designs. Now, when Bancroft Davis met with uh, Madame Loren in, in Chartres in, in July of 1883, he gave the subject matter. He told them what windows were to be done. And they set a schedule to produce them. And with that was the guidance. They delivered these windows in clusters. And on, on the first page of that handout, those of you who may have had one, you're going to find a copy that I got in Chart uh, back in the middle of this last month when my wife and I went, went there on our trip. This is all in French. And what they did, they took the design, the, 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 the rough design of, of the windows to be installed, and then made multiple annotations over the next two years. You can see all kinds of stuff scribbled in and struck out. But you can also see the general structure of the window locations, even if they weren't all installed exactly in the same place. A couple of windows were supposed to be on that side of the church. They ended up on the opposite side of the church, but they were the windows that had been ordered. They ordered 25 windows. Now, about those windows, let, let me, let me uh, point this out. Nearly every one of these Loren windows that are not the modern windows that were done in 1883 to 1885 are all unique adaptations that the Loren firm did. This is something that they created through their own creative genius, um, taking into account in some cases themes of the Bible. Because when Bancroft Davis went and he had these subjects, he said, look, we'd like to have somebody like a subject like this, like the Good Samaritan, like um, you know, the baptism of Jesus. Um, Garden of Gethsemane, the Transfiguration, the Last Supper behind me. I mean, those things were all laid out, and they knew what the Bible verses were that were associated with the subject matter. But they left it to the Loren people to figure out how to create a representation based upon that Bible verse. And so what's interesting is if you look at our windows, they are literally almost all of them close copies of oil paintings transferred on the glass. If you take a good close look at that, it is amazing the skill set that those people had. And I was told by uh, Monsieur um, Hermé, who is the current co-owner of the firm in Loren, that what they did was they had about 50, 60 artisans working for them, and they had specialization. Some people were the specialists for painting faces or doing draped robes or other kinds of features like that. Others did the floral designs. Others did the classical elements that went into it. It was like a team effort. They, they, they would draw the cartoon. They'd say, this is what the final version is going to look like. They'd have literally like a painted copy of what they were going to do. And then they'd break it up into some subcomponent parts. They would draw the figures, fire it in the kiln, get the thing, and then they'd come back and they would put it together like a jigsaw puzzle and let it. And that's how you have the windows you have today. And then they were shipped to New York, uh, to Renwick, and then Renwick had it shipped down here through the, by the Pennsylvania Railroad. That's at, literally in one of the notes <laughs> that I got at Loren, that it was you know, bonded and, and all of that. So it went to New York from France, came down here, and then ultimately were installed. Now, if you take a look at some of the characteristics of these windows, it is truly amazing. There's a neoclassical characteristic to them. You'll find uh, classic designs, much like our columns here, which were, these, these columns didn't exist in their original incarnation until the chancel was renovated in 1883. And in 1919, the original 
uh, wooden versions of them were replaced by what we have here in a different renovation. But this whole area um, has got classical elements to it. And another thing you find about these Loren windows, which makes them truly unique, they have a neoclassical characteristic which was particularly prevalent in the 19th century. Um, even in secondary persons and furnishings, if you take a close look at the windows, not just the principal figure, but take a look at the secondary figures, take a look at the furnishings, take a look at the backdrop, you're going to find uh, classical styling in the furniture or in the columns or in the borders. Um, and this reflects the influence of neoclassical themes that began in, in the Napoleonic era in France. Um, there was a lot of this going on all over Europe. You know, they had, the British had their own variations of things and the way they did stained glass windows. One example of which is over here in the connector, which is a recovered window from a disestablished church in England, which a parishioner back in uh, the early uh, uh, 1960s uh, was, was a deputy minister to France for the U.S., a member of St. John's. He got that window saved it because it was St. John's and just had it installed. Now, we don't know which church that came from other than the fact, but that's a classic English version. That's not a Loren. No one would ever, ever confuse that window as being a Loren window. And if you walk around and you see all the Loren windows in St. John's and know which ones they are, you would never confuse them with any other stained glass window by any other company. They're, they're that unique. Uh, and I would just tell you that, that the Loren Company did engage in medieval restoration work at Chartres Cathedral and elsewhere in France and other, and other places. And they, um, they also were noted for doing medieval or Renaissance style glass, many, li many likes of which you might find uh, in some of these representations, like the newer versions um, of, of the Red Cross window that the Payne family did it in the far corner back here, or even this more modern window that's up against the wall here on the left-hand side, the one closest to the front uh, of the 8th Street side. That, that's the kind of thing, if you go into most churches that have stained glass windows, you're going to likely see something like that. That's a completely different style of window that became into vogue in the, uh, you know, the late 19th and the early 20th century. Um, but ours are one of a kind, and we've got the biggest collection of them. And it, it's, it's truly amazing. Uh, even if the only one I could think it's even close to one of the representations uh, that we have here is in uh, St. Patrick's Cathedral, and that was a founder's window that James Renwick had done and paid for and donated to the cathedral. And it actually has, it's almost like a, a painting put on the glass of the cardinal who was responsible for the church being built. Uh, uh, he's got his robe, he's sitting around a table, and there's Renwick with these architectural designs, you know, uh, laid out on the table. And, and if you take a look at the figure of, of, of uh, James Renwick, it actually looks like a photograph of Renwick just put on, on paint and, into, uh, into glass. And that's what we have here. Um, nearly all of these are original. There, there are only four windows in the church that Loren did that are not in their unique style, but rather are almost true copies of the originals. The transfiguration window up here is almost a literal perfect copy of Raphael's uh, work that's in the Vatican Museum. What's missing is the la lower half of it. If, if there's, a, there's a lower half of that entire piece where you've got uh, a whole bunch of people at the bottom and someone that's, uh, who's obviously got 
some kind of uh, difficulty with the world who's screaming out and the, and the apostles are trying to heal them. They, they cut that off, but they took that. And if you put that window right next to the original in the Vatican Museum, uh, and you didn't say which is Raphael and which is Loren, you'd have a hard time doing it. That they're that close a copy. It, upstairs in the wall is another, uh, again, you can't see it from the floor, but the top medallion, or the top half of, of a two-part window, is Madonna the Chair, which is in the Petty Palace in Florence. And that's a perfect copy. You could put, you could put Raphael's Madonna the Chair next to that stained glass window, and if you didn't know which was which, you couldn't tell the difference, except possibly for the bordering that the Loren people put into it. Um, we have one more, which is upstairs, and you can't see it from here, uh, which is um, the beautiful garden, another Raphael, where you have Mary and you have uh, Jesus as, as a young baby with uh, St. John the Baptist. That is another window that's in the Louvre in Paris. You could take a look at that copy there, take a look at the one in the Louvre in Paris, and you have a really hard time knowing which was which, except for a small couple of adornments that the Lorraine people added to it. And we have one last example of Lorraine work, which is not like the classic works you see upstairs and down, and that's this one here, which is very hard to see. That's basically ornamental glass. That's what they call it. It's essentially an elaborate floral figure around a classic angel, and that might be difficult for someone to say, was that a Loren or something else? Because that's pretty much a standard, almost off-the-shelf version of a lot of windows that were done like that in the 19th century. So we've got, essentially, four Raphael copies. The one on the top that was just restored earlier last year, the big Demoulin window, was donated by Bancroft Davis, the guy who went to, to Loren in 1883. That one is the healing of the lame man. That was based upon a Raphael cartoon, which is to say the original drawing and coloration that they did. But that was for purposes of making a tapestry based on that frame. So what, what they did was uh, the Vatican had him do that. He created the cartoon. The, uh, seven of the ten cartoons are in the Victoria and Albert Museum in London. And, and the tapestries are in the Vatican Museum, the ones that survived. And in 2010, the V&A in London had an um, exhibition where they brought all the tapestries from the Vatican City and put them side by side in the Victoria and Albert Museum with the cartoons upon which that specific window was made. And I will tell you, I've seen three out of the four I've just described. I've never been to Florence, so I haven't seen uh, the Madonna the chair. But I will tell you that having seen that one in the V&A, the Loren representation in that stained glass window of, of uh, the lame man being healed from Acts of the Apostles is a better representation than Raphael's original cartoon. It truly is. That is, that is. If I had to pick between the two, even though I know the one was made by Raphael, I would take that one because it's much beautiful, it's much more vibrant, it's got the color schemes, and it absolutely fits perfectly the entire drawing that Raphael did. So if you look around us, we've got a tremendous amount of, of stained glass history. We've got a unique collection of, of a specific time frame in the 19th century where you have Renaissance elements, neoclassical elements, all of them put together in one place by one firm which is still in business. And I find that truly amazing. Uh, 
if you look at the backgrounds of some of these windows. Now, you know, when we all come to church, you know, we come in, we greet our friends or our family, we come in, take our pew seats, we walk by our windows, casually maybe noticing them on a bright day when the sun's really shining, or in the midst of a service when we're going between lessons, you might look around depending on where you're sitting, but you really don't look closely at these windows because you're engaged with the people that you're in church with. And if what I'd hope today, and, and this is the key point because we've got five baptisms at, at 11 o'clock service, we need to clear the altar. What I wanted to do was just describe a couple of these things in detail and ask you if you would, as you see fit to do, come up here, take a look at particularly these two windows, which are classic Loren in so many ways. And then we've got a few around the outer, outer aisles, so you probably could carefully walk around and see at least the ones down here. But I would urge you at some point, go upstairs in the galleries. You're gonna, if you go up in the galleries, you're also going to see some stained glass windows uh, in, the level, in, the, in the ground levels as you step down to get into the stairs. Those were not done by the Wren. Those were done when they did the renovations. They were done by Eggleston in New York, who was a subcontractor to uh, James Renwick. And there are two little ones up at the top as you get to the top of the stairs that are sort of like cathedral glass that look very, very amateurish. Those were all done by Eggleston. And I remember when I was going through uh, J James Renwick's papers, uh, writing to Bancroft Davis about the windows, he just basically said, I wish I had never had Eggleston do those windows. I wish I'd had them all done by Loren and Chard. He had a lot of trouble with the quality of the work. Although I will say of the four that they've got in the back on the stairwell, the two at the bottom are, are rather pretty. You know, they got the swords and the shields crossed and the color schemes and they got a label from, you know, a scripture. But the, the ones up top look like they could have been done at somebody's uh, art class, you know, some adult uh, art class. They're not in the same league with everything else in the church. But that said, um, the most unique of all St. John's stained glass windows is behind me on the altar. Um, the, the Last Supper. There is not a documented stained glass window anywhere in Europe or in the United States that presents this specific representation of the subject. It is distinctly different from Leonardo da Vinci's classic left-to-right long-table mural painting and portrayal. Uh, with Jesus in the center and the disciples on either side of him. How many have you seen variations on that theme? Or if they have a window that's uh, of the form that this one is, a, a, a tall, wide lancet, they'll put in the center of it a scene of the Last Supper. But again, it's mostly the long table with you know Jesus in the center and St. John on the side. This, you're at the end of the table looking down the long end, and there's St. John with his, uh, on Jesus' shoulder. You'll see the disciples around the table. And at the bottom, you'll see the cat, the symbol of treachery, walking right toward the guy on the right with the, panel, the, the blue pantaloons, Judas. That's the moment when Jesus said one of them would betray him. And look at, look at the, the classical design. You know, the, you know the, these, these are uh, ionic scroll uh, temples. Those are the flat lines on the side. Look at the patterning. Look at the detailing of even the sandals, the fruit, and the baskets. 
That's incredible artwork. And there's no, there's no copy of that window any place in the world I've ever seen. And believe me, I've looked for three years to find something even close to that, and it doesn't exist. That is a total creativity by the Lorraine, Furman, and Chart France that came up with that. And, and at, the bottom, at the bottom corner, like in a number of these, you're going to find um, the capital letter V, lowercase v, and then E, VVE, which is a French abbreviation for the word for widow. Because Madame Lorraine had her husband, Nicholas, who was the one who did the work for uh, Renwick in New York, had died uh, about six or seven months before Bancroft Davis went to visit her with the orders for us. And she signed her windows, Widow Lorraine. And here, of course, it says, at Chart France. And then the one over here, in the far corner at the bottom, it says, Vive Lorraine, Chart France tucked down on the corner of the window. And there'll be a couple others. There's one in the Oregon Bay, which I have to say, we got some serious work to do with a couple of those windows in the Oregon Bay to be restored. They've really been not, the, the elements have not been kind to them. But I showed you in the handout, the one of the, uh, the Good Samaritan in, the, in the, uh, the colored page in the book. I can see it very clearly from here, and you probably could, because you know, there's nobody in there in the Oregon Bay. This used to be simple seating. When they did the 1883 uh, renovation, where those chairs are right now, they actually did not have the organ in there. It was open. It was an open bay for all three of those windows. And they had single seats up here which people could rent you know, if they were not members of the church and so on. Well, that's obviously changed. They've got a screen now to protect the windows. But they're beautiful. Even the ones in there that need help are beautiful. And that particular one, take a look at that picture. Look at the detail. You can see the two guys in the distance that passed on by. One's on a donkey, one's walking. The detailing of the face of, of the, uh, uh, the Good Samaritan. I mean, it's just amazing. The, the level of detail. If you look at the stained glass window up here of, of Gethsemane, full moonlit night. On the left-hand side, you can see the apostles sleeping. Above Jesus in the clouds, you can see angels carrying the instruments of the crucifixion and the cross. But down in the far right corner, in sort of a chiaroscuro lighting, you can see the soldiers coming up to take him away. I mean, that's incredible detail. But if you're just coming up the communion, you're sitting on the communion rail, and you're looking up for about, you know, 30 seconds, you'll never notice that. It's true of all the windows. Uh, one thing that I noticed this morning in, in the lessons, we were talking about uh, the uh, uh, Mary and Martha. Well, this window hasn't been restored. It's still in reasonably good shape. It's still going to take a couple thousand dollars to restore it. But on the side back there, uh, the next window before the last one as you walk out on the aisle, there's Mary and Martha and Jesus. And I've got a picture of it in the, for those of you who have the handouts. You'll see at the bottom, it's the lower medallion. The medallion is, is, a, is a half of a window, upper medallion, lower medallion for those windows. Um, and, of course, who's Martha and who's Mary? Well, if you know the story, Martha was the one, not, not the story of Lazarus. These were the two sisters of Lazarus. Martha was the one who always got stuck doing the cooking. So she's the one with the plate bringing the food, well, her, her sister Mary is talking to Jesus, and the way the story goes, uh, hey, how about telling her, Jesus, to help me do the cooking? And Jesus said, she's got more important things to do talking with me. 
And then later, of course, Martha's the one who says, don't open the, the stone because, you know, Lazarus stinks. You know, he's been buried for four days. That is an incredible representation of a window. I mean, it is absolutely beautiful. The colors, the vibrant colors, the blues and the reds were so unique with the Loren firm. And if you take a look at the individual windows, the backdrop, the palm tree in the distance, or the one at the very back where you first come in, which is St. John at Patmos, there's the vision. All they said was take the book of Revelation, read the first sections of it, and show us St. John at Patmos. And all they did was reading about, you know, the four uh, uh, animals or earthly beings that were part of that picture. And if you take a look at the cloud where St. John is looking up, there's a human, there's a lamb, there's a lion, there's the ox, and there's the eagle at the bottom. It took me a while to get the eagle because it's kind of a blue. But that level of detail, that's creativity. That's art, the likes of which few churches in, a, in the world can claim that we have. So I'll leave it at there. Uh, I hope that you get a chance to look at them. I've got a map there. And by the way, if you, if, if you haven't got a copy of the book, you can get a copy of the, the history. I've got a whole chapter on stained glass windows given the chapter and verse of the Bible that they were based on, a little description, and also who the donors were and who they memorialized. Because this is all Saint Day, and every single person represented by a window was considered a saint by the person who donated the window, whether it was a, a relative or whether it was the memory of someone. And I hope that you've really come to appreciate what a beautiful art collection we have. And by the way, since I've, we've got, you know, four Raphaels already here, you don't have to go to Europe. You can see them right here. <laughs> anyway, thank you. I'll take a couple of questions if necessary. <laughs>